Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, nowadays, we tend to treasure our great country houses dotted around the country. We visit them or look them up in the blue book for a weekend break. But during the War of Independence and the Civil War, somewhere between 250 and 300 of them were burned down. The social historian Robert O'Byrne tells this story in his book, Left Without a Handkerchief. Robert, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Sean. Uh, Explain the title, I suppose, because that tells the story of of one of the houses. Yeah, it's a house called Milefield, which is outside Clonmel in Tipperary. And uh, it was owned for a long time by the Bagwell family. But at the time of the Civil War, John Bagwell was a senator. So his house, like a lot of other senators' houses, was targeted by the anti-treaty forces. Uh, And it was duly burnt down in January 1923, as I recall. And his wife wrote a letter to her mother-in-law the following day explaining what had happened and said, we've been left without anything. We hadn't even a handkerchief. Mm. And uh, as I understand it as well, even in the course of that, they made sure to steal clothes and things like that from the house. <laughs> she was, as Louise Bagwell was rather annoyed when the uh, party left. They, she discovered they'd taken her handbag and overcoat. Yeah, you would be, uh, uh, really. The, uh, generally speaking, I know it's it's probably difficult to generalise this, but yeah. uh, how were these uh, how how were the, these arson attacks conducted? Were they given advance warning? Did they, you know, surprise them or just set fire to the place? Some people knew that, you know, there are some houses where people reckoned they were in line to be attacked, so they would move their furniture and other valuables perhaps out of the building in time. But mostly they didn't. What would happen is in the early hours of the morning, 12, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, something like that, uh, there'd be a loud banging or a door would be broken through or windows would be smashed and a group of masked men would enter. And they'd tell whoever was in the house at the time they had about 10 or 15 minutes to get dressed, grab what they could and get out. And while that was going on, the men would pile furniture up in the center of rooms, uh, cover it with petrol, sprinkle petrol over the carpets, and then set the whole thing alight. And then they would hold the occupants, very often at gunpoint, outside until the house was so so far gone that it would would be impossible to put out the flames. Mm. Were houses targeted in the sense of it depended who their residents were, or was it just a big house is a good symbol? Uh, Both. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Some houses were clearly targeted, As I say, during the Civil War, the anti-treaty forces tended to target senators' houses. And a lot of the senators who had been appointed by the Free State were landed owners. So therefore, they lived in very large houses. Uh, So as part of the anti-treaty policy, they burnt large numbers of senators' properties. Sometimes you feel it was just a random attack. It just was, you know, there was a place that was empty or potentially both in the War of Independence and the Civil War, there was always a thought that if the house stood, it might be used as a barracks or as, an, you know, as, a, as a potential base for troops of one side or the other. And therefore, by burning the house, they would make sure that that couldn't happen. Mm. Because I, I, and I imagine these were homes, as no matter how large and fancy they were. And, mm. and one example being Spiddle House, which, which uh, Lord Callanan lived there, and that seemed to break him. Spiritually, yeah, literally. I mean, he, he, the Morrises were one of the tribes of Galway. They were 
Roman Catholic. They'd always been Catholic family. They'd been driven off their own lands by Cromwell and so forth. Um, and then in the 19th century, uh, when the penal laws were reformed, they did rather well. And then the second uh, Lord Killannon built this very big house, Spiddle House, outside Galway. And there seems to be no reason why it was attacked and burnt. He wasn't. Uh, he wasn't for one side or the other. He wasn't involved in anything. It was. It seems to me almost a random attack, possibly in revenge for uh, the killing of of some uh, troops sometime earlier, which also happened. And so this house was just completely set alight, gutted, and he died a couple of years later, basically of a broken heart. What happened to the rest of the Morris family? Well, they, they could, his nephew actually inherited the estate, and anybody of a certain age, including, I imagine, yourself, Sean, would remember his nephew, who was Lord Killannon, mm. who was president of the International Olympic Committee. Um, and he he and his family rebuilt the house in a simpler form, and they lived there until, I think, the 90s, 70s, perhaps, and then they sold it. But it still stands, the house, uh, although it's owned by different people today. Yeah. Now, g- given we're talking about hundreds of houses, how many yeah. of them were rebuilt? Very few. The issue here was compensation. That it's It's slightly complex. If your house was attacked and damaged during the... War of Independence, you applied to the British government for compensation. If it were damaged during the Civil War, you applied to the Free State Government, and there were commissions set up to handle all of these uh, compensation claims, which could raise from the you know a small cottage, a farmhouse, as, as well as up to big houses. And these claims were duly assessed, and almost invariably the amount that was offered was considerably lower than what was sought. So it was anything between a half and a third of the money is what you'd actually get. And for a lot of people, they simply couldn't afford under those circumstances to rebuild. Mm. Is there a ratio between how many houses were, were, were burned during the War of Independence and subsequently during the Civil War? Yeah, there's more than twice the number in the Civil War were burnt. The, oh, it was a much smaller number during the War of Independence. Yeah. Is it because it sounds... To a certain extent, like some of these arson attacks were more like publicity stunts rather than they had any strategic value. Yeah, there's certainly that because that's a good way to describe it, actually, because certainly it gained a lot of publicity if the local big house was burnt down and it, and it showed that the, 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 the people responsible for the attack had some power. And, you know, these 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 sort of assaults were not just obviously physical assaults, but they were psychological as well, and they had that impact too. Mm. Now, as a result then, because so many of them weren't rebuilt, yeah. I mean, would it be fair to say we, we, we've we lost some fairly magnificent houses, and I'm thinking of Summerhill House, which from the pictures looks absolutely enormous. <laughs> Summerhill was extraordinary. It's not too far from where I live here in County Meath, and it was, it was like the Versailles of Ireland. It was this vast Baroque palace built for the Langford family, and it was burnt very early in the War of Independence. The family weren't there at the time, but the staff were, and the usual story happened. There were people at the back door late one night. The staff were all told to get out. Uh, petrol was poured all over the place, and it, and it was burnt down, and this vast uh, ruin was left standing afterwards. And they, the family couldn't afford to rebuild it, and eventually, in the late 1950s, it was completely demolished, and there's nothing on the site now. At all? No, well, there's a tiny bungalow. Uh, it, about the size of one of the rooms in Summerhill is, is, now, is now built on the site of the house. 
Oh my gosh! Uh, but I mean, it, it it was one of the most um, fantastic houses in Ireland for hundreds of years, and now there's nothing of it except a few black and white photographs. And in these kind of instances, Robert, what would have happened to it? Because presumably the, the families would have owned the land. Did they eventually just sell off the land and farmers took over or people built bungalows on it? Yeah, and that's one of the reasons it's often thought that's possibly one of the reasons why some of these sort of attacks happened. In fact, by the time of the War of Independence and Civil War, the vast majority of land had already changed hands as a result of various land acts. Mm. So most most of the great landlords had given up the majority of their estates, but they would still have had anything up to a thousand or even two thousand acres within the domain, the land immediately around the house. And obviously that was very valuable. And you can see why, particularly if the house is gone, um, the there's no reason for the land to be held in one unit. It, and it could be divided up amongst various former tenants and small farmers. Mm. Are there any ruins left? Oh, yeah, there's loads of them. We, 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 we do ruins very well in Ireland. We have a lot of them. <laughs> um, we're good at ruins. Uh, no, there are a lot, there are a lot of uh, ruined houses that were burnt um, during, during that period. Um, and there are also a lot of ruined houses that fell into ruins subsequent to that period because... Again, once people look, uh, surrendered most of their land, they couldn't afford to maintain the big house. Mm. The domestic rates had to be paid on any building that had a roof on it. So the obvious thing was to leave that building and take off the roof, and then you didn't have to pay rates. Right. So there are a lot of ruined country houses that are after the War of Independence and Civil War. Yeah. And then uh, with those ruined houses, if there are still many ruined houses out there now. Are they kind of in a legal limbo? Would they still have belonged to the original families? No, mostly not. Mostly they belong to whoever owns the land, who farms the land around them. Right. Um, and for the majority of them, obviously, the house is, is too big. It's just it's, it's just a big ruin on in a field. Yeah. And in, in all cases, Robert, was it always the IRA or and or anti-treaty forces who, who would have carried out these attacks? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, do, I don't think there are any instances that I know of where, say, uh, the British Army or the Black and Tans attacked these, you know, they tended to attack farmhouses and obviously events like the burning of cork and so forth. Mm. Uh, but the big, the big houses would have been regarded as the natural allies. They weren't always, but they would have been regarded as the natural allies of the of the government forces. Yeah. Uh, whether it was the British government or the Free State government, so it it tended to be those opposed to the government of the day who carried out these attacks. And w- would there have been any or many fatalities? Very few. Very few. You know, there are lots of instances. Uh, there was a house called Palmerston, which actually was rebuilt in County Kildare, which belonged to the Earl of Mayo. And in his account afterwards, he commented how incredibly polite uh, the, the arsonists were. And they <laughs> apologized for doing this and said they were acting under orders and helped him remove certain items and so forth. There were a couple of instances where there was violence. Uh, there's a there was a house called Kilmorner in County Kerry and a fellow, Sir Arthur Vickers. He was taken out, tied to a chair and, and shot, and then the house set alight. But that was very rare. Right, OK. Uh, it was ben, enough. I think the trauma of losing your home was probably sufficient for most enough. of Enough. Uh, would there have been a specific reason why Arthur Vickers was targeted? 
he was supposed to have been a tra- there was a note as i recall pinned to him saying that he'd been a traitor uh, that the idea was that he had been giving information to the british government about local ira activity ah right so is it possible to figure out robert as as a proportion of the total amount of houses we had before the war of independence how many of them are, are left now and still functioning to some degree or another so a tiny number i mean the the notion was that before all of this, say 100 or so years ago, there was something in the region of 2,000 big houses in Ireland. 300 or so of those were burnt. A lot more were then lost in the 40s and 50s. There's probably only a couple of hundred now. Right. I'd say less than a tenth. Robert, fascinating to, to speak with you today. Thanks very much for doing so. That's uh, Robert O'Byrne there, the author of Left Without a Handkerchief. Uh, that's our lot uh, for today. And what's up next, uh, presenting uh, The Hard Shoulder. Our production team today, Ashing Moore, Simon Tierney, Michael Quilligan and Claire Collins. We'll talk to you tomorrow at two o'clock. See you then. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm. On News Talk.